You are listening to a sermon by Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A dot com. We're doing this three-week series, uh, and it's, we've titled it Life Together, and, and it's all about this topic of shepherding. You're not going to hear much about shepherding outside the church. And so we thought it was a, a good idea to sort of give it some consideration. And we are doing it as a run-up to the launch of our life groups. And the life groups are going to be one, just one, but one important part of how we're going to do life together. Uh, it's going to be how it's going to be one way our elders are going to be able to be better in touch with you, and and, and another and a way that you guys can be better in touch with one another. Um, so in the next three weeks, we're going to look at three different contexts for shepherding. Right, the, the, we're, and we're going to start today with the baseline. The baseline of shepherding is God shepherding his people. That's what Robin read in the call to worship. That's what we've been singing about. Uh, All of our shepherding, whether it's elders to members, which we'll talk about next week, or whether it's member to member, which we will talk about in two weeks, all shepherding ultimately is based in and flows from the, the, the baseline reality that God shepherds us, that God uh, is our shepherd. Now, you might think that, okay, uh, an obvious place to go for this would be uh, Jesus' teaching in the New Testament on, uh, on the good shepherd, that he is, in fact, the good shepherd. And that would be a marvelous uh, place to go, uh, but we're not going to do that because what I want to to show you uh, is is that God's. We're going to go way back in history. We're going to go back to Moses, uh, in part to show that shepherding it has always been there. Shepherding is a part of who God is. It's a part of it's part of His heart, and and. Um, so we're going to look at how God shepherded in the Exodus, uh, which is kind of a paradigm for, uh, for everything. Uh, we're looking at a passage that you may not be familiar with uh, right off bat. It's because it often gets overlooked. And the reason it gets overlooked is because it has the un- it's unfortunately sandwiched between two really high-profile events, right? It, Right before it is the final plague in Egypt, the death of the firstborn and, and the Passover, right? And the, the saving of the Hebrew people from, from that horrible uh, plague of the death of the firstborn. Uh, that j- immediately precedes this passage. And then immediately following this passage is the crossing of the Red Sea. So, you, you know, right? And so you, you, people are in anxious right, to get from the Passover and the, right, and the, the, and the Hebrews leaving uh, to get to the Red Sea. And, and it's amazing how often this passage just gets blown by. But we do, I, I don't think it's wise to blow by it. In fact, because there's, there's so much deep confidence in God building truth here. Exodus 13. 
uh, 17 through 22. Uh, I'd encourage you to open your Bibles if you have one. If you don't, it's printed in the bulletin. Um, And I'm going to ask you one more time to please stand uh, for the reading of God's Word. Exodus 13, starting at verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go... God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Sukkot and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray. Shepherd God, show us your shepherding heart today and encourage us to trust in you as our good shepherd and to step out in Jesus' name and in faith to shepherd those in our lives where you have placed us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So my hope is that after this sermon, if you are a Jesus follower, uh, that you will leave today more confident that God, as the shepherd of your life, has you on uh, the right road even though that road is difficult. That he's with you on that road. uh, And that the end of the road, your destination, is worth it. Is worth all the difficulties. So three points today. The short and straight road is not always better than the long and winding road. Second, God keeps his own rules. And third, the final destination of your God-shepherded life is worth the difficult journey. Okay? So, first point is the short and straight road is not always better than the long and winding road. Look at verse 17 there. When the... Pharaoh let the people go. God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. It was near. It was right there. Uh, it, It was a straight line from Egypt to Canaan, the land that God had promised. It was called the way of the sea. Uh, it was about 150 miles long. We have a record of someone taking that journey back in, you know, back in that time, and it took uh, 10 days. That's pretty quick with a, with a smaller group. Um, I, 
the, the Hebrew people with you know 600 men plus wives and children could, could have made that trip in a matter of weeks. But Moses tells us right here that that's not where God took them. And in that way, God is once again uh, proving himself to think not like we think, right? I, I don't know if it's true for you. It's certainly true for me. When it comes to getting somewhere, uh, for me, short beats long every time uh, and straight beats winding every time. Especially in the days when I had little kids that want, want to get car sick. Right? But not for God. And, and that's why, because God's a wiser shepherd than I am. Let me give you a few points of application here to your life of this basic truth that, that, that Moses wanted you to know that God didn't take us on the short and straight road. Even though it was there, took us on this long and winding road. First, verse 17, Moses tells us why God did that. And this has application uh, to you. Um, God took them uh, on the long and winding road instead of the short and straight road because God knew that down the short and straight road was almost immediate war. Yeah, read that there. And the Hebrew people were not ready for it. God knew that if they so soon encountered war and resistance and opposition uh, after leaving Egypt, that they'd lose their nerve, they'd lose their resolve, they'd change their mind, and they would voluntarily go back to slavery. So the point here is that while God took them on a longer road that was, as if you know anything about the Exodus, that road was fraught with difficulties and challenges, that, that lo- what, what, what Moses is showing us here is that that long and winding road that God took them on avoided other challenges. In fact, challenges that would have undone the people. Challenges that they didn't know about, challenges that they weren't even aware of. As I was reflecting on this, I, I, I was thinking back uh, to my summer, uh, uh, which involved some hiking in Yosemite National Park, and, and um, you know, one of the leading causes of death in Yosemite National Park is hikers going off the notoriously long and winding trails in Yosemite uh, to uh, take short and straight shortcuts. And if you've ever hiked anywhere, but it, it seems particularly acute in Yosemite, you know how tempting that is, right? There it is. I mean, you can see it. It's right laid out in front of you. It's short, it's straight, it's quick, Uh, why in the world am I on this long and winding trail which often seems to be taking me in the exact opposite direction that I want to go? You you know that feeling, right? That Those uh, switchbacks, it'll just rip your heart out, right? And and you go, wait a minute, I want to go over there, but I'm walking this way, why? Um, 
But if you do that, and, and the Rangers, there's all kinds of write-ups on this every year. Um, you, if you do, the, do it, and people do it every year, uh, take, you know, false prey to that temptation of taking the shortcut, uh, you almost inevitably cha- face challenges, encounter challenges that you didn't see, that you weren't aware of. Um, and especially in Yosemite, what those challenges involve is what the Rangers called being cliffed out or ledged out. You don't want to be cliffed out or ledged out in Yosemite, right? Where you get, you get to a cliff, you can't go forward, and now you can't go back. Or, or you, you end up on a ledge where, where, you know, from which you can't move. So here's, you know, bottom line, as tough as things might be for you on the road God has you on right now, remember that he's, he's the all-knowing shepherd. He sees down this road and sees things that you don't see, knows things you don't know, and, and, and he is causing you to avoid things, uh, that you don't even know you're, you're avoiding. You know, it's, it's one of the remarkable things. Again, another thing I was reflecting on, we, we always talk about counting our blessings, and it, it turns out that one of, one of our blessings is, is one we, we rarely thank God for because we don't really know about them, but it's all the things that we don't have in our life, all the things we missed in our life that would have undone us. Uh, that would have undermined uh, our faith. Um, we have a good, a good shepherd God. So that's the first application. Second, and it's really almost saying the same thing. Um, don't think, as a lot of people do, that just because you're experiencing hardships, just because your your life is seemingly circling the drain or you're facing challenges that are from your perspective humanly impossible and and you see no way out don't necessarily conclude that that's because you are outside of God's will see I think we too often fall into kind of an American way of thinking that you know it's if, if things are good, if things are prosperous, if things are relatively problem-free, well, that, then obviously I'm in God's will. That, that's you know, that's got to be what God's will is for me. He wants my life to be easy and problem-free. No, not necessarily so. At least not right now. Certainly wasn't true for the Hebrew people, Right? He was taking them out of slavery, uh, but not to an easy and problem-free life, right? Look, verse 18, what was the first stop uh, on this, uh, on this uh, journey on the, ro- on the long road? Uh, it was the Red Sea, right? He took them by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And, and you know, anybody, uh, just like we have been questioning, right, military judgment lately in, in international affairs, it would have been very easy for people to, uh, to, to sort of question the military judgment uh, of taking all of these people uh, to the Red Sea, right? You've now put them in an effect in a box canyon. 
right? And now here comes the Egyptian army and they have their backs to the sea. Uh, and the army is coming uh, nowhere uh, to go. Uh, and yet, that's right where God wanted them to be. It's exactly where God wanted them to be. But for them, it felt like a death sentence. It looked like a death sentence. It was humanly impossible, right? Which leads to the third application, right? Um, it's not in our text, but, I, but it's worth saying because Moses said it elsewhere. And I say Moses. Moses wrote the Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible. And in Deuteronomy 8... Um, Moses talks about how God turned a journey that could have been done in a few weeks into a 40-year long trip. God did that uh, in order to transform the Hebrew people. And transformation, human transformation, requires time. Right? It's, it's, it's a long work. They had been slaves for 430 years. 430 years. Now, to, to just put that in perspective, count back 430 years from, our, from 2021. That makes it 1591. Which gives you an idea, right? 1591 seems like a long time ago, right? Seems like people that lived back then are very distant from us in many, many ways. Right? That's when they went into slavery, that long ago. Right? And, and really, that was a time of God's silence. They hadn't really heard from God in 430 years. Many thought, maybe most thought, and, with, and you can understand why, that God had forgotten them. That God was, they were no longer God's people. Imagine if, here we are in 2021, if we hadn't heard from God, if we hadn't seen any working of his power in, in 430 years. And of course what happens that in that 430 years is they became completely dependent on Egypt. They depended on Egypt for everything. For their food, for a roof over their heads. And, and now they were leaving. And, and the temptation would be, and you, and you saw it repeatedly in the Exodus, the temptation was to go back. Right? Every time they encountered difficulty, oh man, why, why did we leave Egypt? Yeah, we were slaves, but at least we had food. At least we had water. At least we had a roof over our heads. So there was this temptation built up by this centuries of dependence to be either, you know, when when it goes away, they want to go back to it, or alternatively, they they would want to depend upon themselves. They would be self-reliant. And in the Exodus, you see both examples of that. People sort of acting on their own, um, trying to figure it out and do it by themselves. Uh, independent of God or, or, or wanting uh, desperately to go back to a bad situation. Uh, so so what, is, what does God do? 
he's a good shepherd. So what does he do? He doesn't take you on the short, straight, easy, problem-free path. He takes you on this long and winding path and puts the, he, he put the Hebrew people and he puts you and me into situations where that expose our weaknesses, right? That show his strength that show our need to depend not on ourselves or not on some national power, but on God. And that was, you know, that's how the Exodus started in spades, right? With it, as they're there on the shores of, of the Red Sea. A humanly impossible situation. They had no hope uh, but to depend upon God and God came through and delivered them like they couldn't otherwise deliver themselves and they see that's part of the process of, of of coming around to seeing our limitations seeing our weaknesses seeing our need for god this is this is why god takes us along long and winding roads to transform us into god dependent people he's building your faith through these things as a good shepherd and, and James tells us that faith is, uh, is more valuable than gold. Okay, that's first point, right? The short and straight road is not always better than the long and winding road. Second point, God keeps his own rules. I think I've told this story before to make another point. I'm going to just summarize it again. It's, it's, it's part of the lore of our family. We were on a road trip to Utah in the winter, um, and our car broke down in northeast Las Vegas. Um, and if you know anything about northeast Las Vegas, it's not the garden spot of the world. Uh, northeast Las Vegas, you know, you're way beyond the city, and you're out into the industrial, you know, warehouses and gravel pits and... Uh, chain link fences and razor wire and it's ugly right and there's not much there except all that kind of uh, heavy uh, industry Uh, and it's Sunday so it's closed up like a drum right and our car breaks down and and there I am you know Mr. Hornroom lawyer know nothing about cars Uh, and and I leave my family and I start walking into this into this maze of razor wired warehouses looking for help and i was i went i walked for a long time and i was beginning to despair when i heard some music and i went followed the music and i found a warehouse where some uh, scary looking motorcycle guys were uh, working on their bikes and uh, i started explaining my dilemma and one of the guys quickly diagnosed from my description that I had a battery problem and he started giving me directions to the auto parts store and I'm listening and I'm, I'm trying to rem- you know, keep the directions in my head and maybe I showed it on my face but I'm beginning to, you know, am I going to be able to remember these directions and am I going to be able to walk this far? And when I, and I, you know, I know enough about batteries to know they're heavy. <laughs> am I going to be able to carry this... <laughs> If I can get to the auto parts, I'm going to be able to carry the battery. Um, and he, he, he just stops giving directions and he says, come on, let's go. And I take a ride in this, in this Camaro, which was scarier than the motorcycle. Uh, but um, 
and he takes me back to the car, and you know, and my and we get out of the car, my kids are wide eyed. And he confirms the problem, drives me to an auto parts store. Uh, I buy the battery, uh, and, and we, he drives me back. He puts it in, and uh, and you know, he started up, started up, started right up. I offered him money. He says, "Nope, don't want your money." Turned around, was talking to the kids. Looked back. He was in his car. He's gone. So we still wonder whether that guy was an angel in our family. You know, and if you remember my teaching on angels, he kind of looked like one. Right? Not a fat flying baby, but a tough guy. Um, but look, the, the point, the reason I'm telling this silly story uh, is is this: that 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 fellow played by his own rules, in the sense that. He gave me the rules, right, which were the directions. Uh, but out of compassion for me, he didn't just give me the directions, sit back, and then send me on my way, right? He went with me, right? He kept his rules. He went with me. And, and not only went with me, but he empowered me to do what I needed to do on the way. Friends, that's just a, a tiny human portrait of, of what God does as your shepherd. And, and you see that in verses 20 and 21 and 22. That's what the pillar of cloud and fire is all about, right? God going with his people. He didn't just say, okay, I've got you out. Here are, the direct, here are the directions to Canaan. Now, God went with his people, uh, and that his presence was manifested in that time, uh, this supernatural phenomenon of a pillar. We think, think of it more as a, as a column. You know, I, you know, we don't know what it exactly looked like, but it, by day it was clouds, and by night it was fire. Um, and, and, and so God was... F- manifestly with them and not and giving direction, right? Orienting them, giving them direction. All they had to do every day was follow the pillar. When it moved, they moved. They just followed it. And, but, but it did more than that, right? It gave them, uh, we, we know from this passage, we know from other passages uh, in the Old Testament that the, the, that pillar of cloud and fire gave uh, uh, light, it gave heat, it gave shade, and it also importantly gave protection. And, and you saw that, you, you see that in, at the Red Sea event, right? The, the, the pillar is in front of the people, leading them to the Red Sea. They get to the shores of the Red Sea. Here comes the Egyptian army. And what does that pillar do? It moves, God moves to the rear of the people and, and comes between his people and the Egyptian army. It's God, it's the good shepherd, right? It's God protecting his people, just like a shepherd protects his flock from, from the wolves. Uh, so, and also, as this passage tells us, he was always there. That, that pillar followed them every day, or led them every day for 40 years. Every day. Open up their tent flap, there it was. Um, his presence was continuous. You, 
you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see this is an Old Testament picture of a New Testament gospel reality, right? This is, this is Emmanuel. This is God with us, Jesus' name. And he's with us, I think, although we, we might wish that he were with us, you know, in, in a pillar that we could see, as, as Jesus and Jesus' disciples repeatedly emphasize in the New Testament, even though his presence with us is invisible, it's more powerful and more intimate than it was even in the Exodus, right? Because now God by his spirit is in you you have an in he he is your internal guidance system and as jesus himself promised he will never leave you or forsake you he plays by his own rules this reminds me close this point with this quote from Dorothy Sayers, pal of C.S. Lewis. It's a provocative statement and she was trying to be provocative and provocative statements aren't always theologically precise, but I think this makes a great point. She writes, for whatever reason God chose to make man as he is, limited and suffering and subject to sorrows and death, he had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. Whatever game he is playing with his creation, he has kept his own rules and played fair. He exacts nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He has himself gone through the whole realm of human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain, humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. When he was a man, he played the man. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace, and he thought it well worthwhile. Amen. All right, that's second point. God keeps his own rules. Final point. The final destination. Your is is worth your God shepherded difficult journey. You know, we skipped over something uh, in this text um, in the middle there that's important and, and kind of weird. Verse 19, uh, this mention of Moses carrying the bones of Joseph with him when he left Egypt for the God-promised land. Joseph had been dead for four centuries, uh, but the likelihood is that he wasn't just carrying you know, a bag of bones or a box of bones. Um, remember, Joseph, if you remember, right, one of Jake, Jacob's sons through a long series, this is at the end of Genesis, long series of, of very tra- tragic events in his life. Uh, he rises to become, uh, by God's grace, the, the sort of the prime minister of Egypt. He's the second in command under Pharaoh. Um, and uh, and saves the Hebrew people, and it really is Joseph's it was Joseph's presence in Egypt that brought the Hebrew people into Egypt, where they lived as free people while Joseph was alive. After Joseph was alive, memories fade, administrations change, and the Hebrew people were 
were, were enslaved. But, but given Joseph's importance in the, in the Egyptian empire, it's almost certain that he was mummified, right? He, he, he probably, they probably carried something that looked like King Tut, right? right? Uh, a, a mummy. Um, he was no doubt buried in a tomb. Um, and he's doing this at, at, at a request that, that uh, Joseph made four centuries earlier. You know, promise me, promise me. Uh, I know God's coming. I know God's going to take you out of Egypt. When he does, you take, you take my bones with you. Um, now, what's that all about? Um, most people think, well, this is just, this is a lesson in God's faithfulness. And it certainly is, right? That here, here after 400 years in the ground, um, God still keeps these promises to his people. He's going to make sure that Joseph, his servant, gets to the promised land. But it's more than God's faithfulness. It, this is an Old Testament picture of our New Testament hope, right? And our, our, our ultimate destination. Um, you guys know, we've talked about it enough, it's, although it still strikes people odd, heaven is not our ultimate destination, right? Heaven is a destination. Uh, and it's a good thing, uh, and it's a true thing, that we go there uh, as Christians when we die, our spirits go there. Uh, but it's not the ultimate reality for Christians. It's not the ultimate destination for Christians. The ultimate destiny for Christians is resurrection. Right? Our hope uh, demonstrated in Christ is that you and I will be resurrected on the last day uh, with remade bodies to live in a to live and work and eat and fellowship and play and dance on a resurrected earth in a resurrected cosmos our just as our life here is physical uh, and and I love my physical life here, our ultimate reality the our ultimate destination is a physical earth remade it's right it's paradise restored um that's why we affirm in the apostles creed right for centuries we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting um so what this text just on its surface tells me is that our bodies are going to get to god's kingdom Right, Israel, Canaan, was always a stand-in. It was always a proxy. Uh, it was always a sign pointing forward to a greater kingdom. Right? Our, our ultimate hope is not to be in Israel. Our ultimate hope is not even to be dis, in a disembodied state with the Lord in heaven. Our, our ultimate hope is that we're going to be uh, in his kingdom, in a remade new heaven and a new earth. Um, in a new body. We're going to get there with our bodies. That's what this Joseph thing is, is, is showing us. Um, and, and although I know, you know, the picture, you know, the picture isn't perfect, right? Joseph gets there and he's dead. When we get there, we will be alive. But in fact, Joseph's going to get there when you do. And he'll be alive too. 
then. So, how did God do that? He, he did it by sending his son on the, on the long and winding road down which God in his mercy did not send you and me. To go the way of Jesus would have meant for you and for me certain judgment, certain death, certain alienation from God. But God sends Jesus, his son, down to take the long and winding road as a human being of perfect obedience to the Lord. And then to keep on going down that road which gets renamed the road of of substitution, right? Taking the judgment that would otherwise be yours and mine for our guilt, our shame, our failure to measure up to God's standards. And Jesus knew exactly what he was doing, right? If you remember in the trans- account, Luke's account of the transfiguration, I believe it's Luke's account, um, the transfiguration where, where Peter, James, and John are allowed to see what, you know, what Jesus sort of looks like beneath the flesh, right? The sort of the veil is pulled back and they see Jesus in, in, in his kind of glorified state. And, and there he's also in communion with, Jesus is, with, uh, with Moses and Elijah, Right? Long dead, but now alive in, in, in his presence. And Moses, Luke tells us that Moses and Elijah were talking to Jesus about, in Greek, his exodon. His exodus. Moses and Elijah described what Jesus was doing as his exodus. Right? It's... See, Jesus went on the exodus for us. The exodus that we couldn't take. And that exodus took Jesus to the cross. Right? The cross that would destroy us, God allowed to destroy his son. But not forever, right? Because Jesus was, was the perfect law obeyer and he was the perfect sacrifice. Therefore, God vindicated his life, his death, by raising him from the dead in power by the Holy Spirit, showing you and me what our guaranteed future is if you live by faith in that crucified and risen Lord. So, Christian friends, we have a good shepherd. He's in the process of leading you to resurrection. You can be assured that as difficult as the road is, and it will be difficult, it's, I know it's difficult for many of you right now, all the days of your life, even through the difficulties, goodness and mercy will chase you down. But the Christ, remember, the Christian hope is not escapism, right? It's not, it's not pie in the sky and the by and by. It's not denying the reality. It's not hoping that somehow I'll get out of this body, somehow I'll get out of this place, and I'll somehow be able to sort of forget all of the, all of the bad, all of the evil, uh, all of the shame, all of the guilt. No, 
Christianity takes all of that head on. And Jesus takes all of that in himself. And by his resurrection, it's in the process of being made brand new. What does Jesus say in Revelation? Behold, I am making all things new. And that gives, let me just say in closing, that gives value and significance to what you're doing right now. Friends, you know, we need to recapture that, the sense of the importance of where God has you and the work he has you doing on earth, right? In your work, in your homemaking, in your parenting, in your service in the church, in, in your loving your neighbor, in loving your enemies, in making peace, being reconciled, in creating, in studying, going to school. You are under and through God's spirit. As he leads you like a shepherd, you are causing God's kingdom to grow, causing God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. We have a good shepherd. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for being our good shepherd. From the very get-go, Lord, you have been our shepherd. Uh, And now you shepherd us with the spirit of Christ. And for that, we are grateful. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. I know that many of them are going through right now humanly impossible situations that are just, you know, like gut punches. Um, Children abandoning the faith, children getting sick, dying, health challenges, spiritual challenges, work challenges, financial challenges. Lord, the good news is you are our shepherd, you're with us. And you're going to get us through this. And you're making all things new. Encourage us with these truths. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California, or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido, reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.